94 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Sarah Baumart, yoga teacher and dancer, on the podcast. The Running on Ohm podcast is founded upon the belief that by sharing the stories of innovative minds, it can spark your imagination and deliver encouragement and insight in your path to personal growth and transformation. I'm so excited to start the year of 2015 of podcasting with the inspiring story and insight of Sarah. If this is your first time tuning into the Running on Ohm podcast, welcome. And if you've been listening since 2014, I really would love to know what you think. The easiest way you can do this is to leave the Running on Ohm podcast a review on iTunes. Your honest perspective will allow me to better this podcast and also help it gain more visibility on the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find it. Leaving a review will take you less than five minutes and really make a world of difference. I met Sarah three years ago in a yoga classroom in a basement of a Cambridge yoga studio. She enrolled her mat to practice as a student in my class, and I remember being distracted while teaching by watching how elegant, fluid, and embodied she was on her yoga mat. I had a suspicion that she was a dancer by the way she moved, and after the class, she did indeed share with me that she was a dancer and a fellow yoga teacher. I'm really excited for her to share her unique perspective as both a yoga teacher and a dancer and how these movement practices have complemented one another in her life's work. In this episode, Sarah explains how she discovered yoga at the age of nine years old in a Nebraska bookstore. Falling in love with dance in her youth through the guidance of her passionate teacher. How yoga became a therapy for her body from the many hours of dancing at the University of Minnesota. What motivated Sarah to become a yoga teacher? The connection between yoga and dancing and how they complement one another in Sarah's life and work. Challenges she faces in her own yoga practice. Techniques for overcoming lack of motivation to get on one's yoga mat. Advice for those intimidated to try yoga. Sarah's calendar for 2015, which includes international yoga retreats. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Old Podcast. Welcome, Sarah, to the Running on Old Podcast. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to talk with you. So Sarah and I know each other from the Boston yoga community, and we met many years ago in a basement studio room, and since then have developed a friendship through our love of yoga, through our love of teaching, and I'm so excited to get to have her on this podcast so that people can learn more about her u- unique background as both a dancer and a yogi. And so what came first for you, yoga or dancing? Uh, dancing came first. I started when I was pretty young. Uh, But that being said, I also was really interested in yoga as a young youngster. I remember being in the Barnes & Noble in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I grew up, and I had just taken a few dance classes, maybe a couple of years of ballet and tap dancing, and um, I was in the, the section that was sort of like health and fitness, slash dance and I found this yoga book that was so interesting to me they were there's pictures of them doing kriyas and all sorts of um, advanced poses and so I bought the book I still have it it's the Shivananda companion to yoga 
and I brought it home and would just flip through, find a pose, you know, see if I could do it. And generally as a like very flexible young body, I could figure it out. Uh, there would be some poses that I couldn't, how does your body do that? How can it get in that shape? And the book is great because it would have a few different things to lead you up into these hard poses. And so I would go through different steps and get myself into the pose um, and read a lot about, you know, the, the philosophy of it and the nutrition. And so that came at a very early age. I wouldn't say I was practicing yoga when I was nine years old, but I was in my living room, you know, trying to do scorpion pose. So, which, you know, I don't do those poses anymore. So they kind of came simultaneously. I was studying dance much more seriously, and I was very curious about yoga at an early age. That's pretty pretty amazing amazing that at nine, you were so drawn to the practice. How did your family react to that? I mean, to see a nine-year-old girl in her living room, probably just kind of hopping around on the gar- on the carpet. Uh, I think they got used to it. You know, I would come home from dance class and I would want to show them something that I had learned. I would always, you know, do small uh, shows for them in the middle of it. Like after dinner, I put on some music and I'd do a show for them. So I think to have me kind of off in the corner doing my thing got pretty normal. And I, I don't know if my parents or my brother and sister expected, oh, she'll try to make a career of this at the time. Um, but I was obviously curious enough to spend a lot of my free time doing it. So I think it just became like Sarah's the one who's in weird shapes in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Now tell me a little bit more about your formal dance background. Were you dancing pretty seriously at the age of nine? Um, No, not not in the way that you can dance seriously at the age of nine. Uh, I studied at a dance studio in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is a relatively small city in the Midwest. And my teacher who owned the studio was, uh, her philosophy felt much more like she wanted to teach you the love of dancing more than the um, competitiveness of it that was starting to happen during that time. A lot of the other studios in Lincoln were, they would really focus on these competitions. And she was much more interested in creating a community and just helping, helping to create a love of moving your body and, and learning, you know, it was much more about knowledge and fun. And so I felt really lucky that I found that place and that just happened to be the first studio it was a few blocks from my house and so it was sort of the no-brainer decision for my mom to take me and you know to get me out of the house and and do something different for a few hours and I really fell in love with it Um, so by the time that I was in high school I was you know after school many hours after school uh, going to 
take multiple dance classes and then started to teach the younger kids as well. Um, and actually ran cross country and track as well. So I would, which is funny because I know we're not going to talk much about running here, but um, I would first go to cross country practice and then right after that go to a couple hours of ballet class. So it was a pretty intense time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, talk about, I mean, really using your active physical body to its, and all of its capacities. That's amazing. Yeah. So then after high school, I, um, I applied to some different schools to go to dance, to, to become a dance major. My parents were super supportive of it. They did not ask any questions. I think the only thing was that my, my mom and dad didn't want me to be too far away from home. So while I had some schools I wanted to go to in New York and, you know, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, they wanted me to stay a little bit closer. And so I ended up um, going to the University of Minnesota, which has a really fabulous dance department, and um, they treat it much more like a conservatory there. And I had a, I feel like I had a really great education there. Um, and the community of of dancers in Minneapolis is quite unusual for a city at size, for a city that's not New York City. Um, so the community itself is great. So after school, you have a lot of opportunities here if you wanted to stay here. That's beautiful that you found such a community there in an unexpected place. When you were in college and even now, what style of dance were you participating in? Are you participating in? I mean, I think to a lot of people who are outside the dance world, we just think of it in pretty simple terms like ballet, modern, jazz. But obviously there's so much more and there's so much nuance to it. Yeah. Um, so the I knew after high school that... I didn't want to be a ballet dancer. I knew that my body wasn't quite cut out for it. I didn't like some of the things that it, it some of this very strict discipline about it and about the way that you're have to force your body into shapes and lines and positions. I, I didn't think that was going to be sustainable for me. So I luckily had a modern teacher when I was in high school, which is somewhat unusual um, to have a good modern teacher and even to have that accessible. And I really enjoyed those classes. So I, um, I found the school, the University of Minnesota, that was more focused on um, the, the Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, which is focused more on performing. The, the performers that they would push out of school would be more modern focused than ballet. That being said, we still took ballet class at 7.30 in the morning every day and, um, and jazz classes and world dance classes, so Afro and yoga and all sorts of things. Um, so, and then, you know, and then the, the, the word modern dance is also has, is just a huge umbrella for, like you said, a lot of, of more nuanced styles and at this point you know it's become mixed with theater and performance art and so much else so um, kind of like multimedia experiences <laughs> along with the dancing so I don't know if that helps to explain it at all but it's yeah. it, it is more in the modern category 
cool. Now, you mentioned yoga as a part of that curriculum in college. Was that a return for you from the practice of yoga in your living room to then doing it in a more formal classroom setting? And when did it become a practice for you that was really daily? Yeah, I took an elective yoga class as a freshman in college, and I would say that was probably the first more formal class that I took regularly. I had taken, you know, video classes with a video or a few classes here and there um, earlier on. But even in high school, when I think about it, like PE in high school, you never did anything like that, or at least we didn't. Um, So I'm having a hard time remembering, you know, being exposed to much yoga in a real class form with a teacher other than me and my books um, in high school. So I would say the first real formal yoga class I took was this class I I signed up as a freshman and learned a ton. You know, it was such a different experience to have one teacher every week. Um, guiding me through the poses rather than me looking at the book kind of a thing. And more than anything in that class, I remember uh, learning about how yoga can help you with your the other aspects in your life and your emotions and you know a first semester as a freshman in college I think those of us who have experienced that it's not the it's somewhat of a lonely time it's scary it's exciting there's a lot of emotions going on you're away from home you know so it was a place where I felt at home I think is what I realized I finally felt calm and not worried you know, in this one and a half hours in this yoga class. And so that stuck with me. And after that, I think I continued to do it much more on my own, whether it, whether it was a way to like cool down after dancing, you know, okay, I'm going to like stretch and make sure my body is ready to, to leave this dancing space. Um, sometimes it was more of that. And sometimes it was just a practice on its own for myself. That's really beautiful that you were able to incorporate it into your dancing at that point. When did you know you wanted to become a yoga teacher? And was that a natural evolution or something that you really made a pretty firm decision on? Uh, I think because it, it really did become quite integrated into my life as a almost a therapy for dancing. Um, I, I continued taking classes and being more curious about other teachers in studios, probably more after college. I took a few more yoga classes in college with some of of the different teachers that they had to offer there. Um, And then you know, after, after school, it was more of, oh yeah, this is part of my life. And there's so many other teachers in this city that I want to try and so many different styles. And so I began doing that, but right out of school, I started with a professional dance company, um, which was pretty full time. 
for a couple of years and I didn't have time or energy to think about being a yoga teacher. It wasn't on my mind. It was very much like dancing was what I wanted to do. And um, so I did that for a while and then kind of wanted to leave Minneapolis and, and see a new city. And so I moved to Philadelphia where my sister was living and I, I felt like I needed kind of a, a step a stepping stone, you know, moving somewhere. And so my sister was a big support in my life. So it, it made sense to move to another big city with a support. And I did some dancing there as well, but it wasn't a full-time company. And so I had a lot of time to take yoga classes and I found a great studio there that was pretty close to where we lived. And it was, in that time that I started thinking much more seriously about um, becoming a yoga teacher, again, it was one of those transition moments in my life, and yoga, I realized, was, oh, this isn't just a physical practice. It was another reminder that this isn't just physical for me. I, I come to this for other reasons, <laughs> and at a time when Philadelphia didn't feel like home, I found what home felt like in the yoga studio. So it was then that I realized this is this is even more than I thought it was still. And I wanted to I wanted to teach it for various reasons. One of them was very practical, which is that as a dancer you make very little money and I needed something to support me and I didn't want to work at a coffee shop anymore. You know, I didn't want to do these odd little jobs, I wanted to use some of my knowledge that I had. And not not that yoga teachers make that much money either, but compared to dancers, it, it was a big step up. So, um, so at that time, I, I was taking with um, Karina Brenner at Wake Up Yoga in Philadelphia, and she was trained um, at Ohm Yoga in New York City, and I had previously, um, actually, in, at Bates Dance Festival in Maine, which you know well, um, I had taken some great yoga classes at the Bates Dance Festival with a teacher who also had trained at Ohm Yoga, and I was really drawn to both of these teachers' styles. So I went to New York to kind of check out a few yoga places to do a training at and I kind of fell in love with Ohm and their teachers and just their, it's very colorful. Well, it doesn't, it's actually not there anymore, but um, so that, it, it felt like a really good fit and it felt like a really good time in my life to do a teacher training and um, kind of try out this other other job. Yeah. Yeah. Now with dancing, professional dancing and then yoga teaching, did you ever feel like they're at odds with one another? I mean, professional dancing, you're in the public eye, people are looking at your body, your art form. Whereas with yoga teaching, it's very much more of, I think, a, a service for other people in the sense that you're helping them get deeper into their bodies. How did you kind of wrap your mind around these two different practices that in some ways complement each other, other ways are at odds with each other as your profession? So far, I feel like they've really balanced each other out for me in a 
personal way. Uh, a lot of my students are always interested in coming to see my shows. So I actually find a lot of support from them. Mm. And I, I've never really thought of them at being at odds with each other. Um, there's a, definitely a different sense of how you're using your body in both of them. Like you're saying, I mean, in yoga, it's much more about how things are feeling rather than the way that they look or the line that they're making, even though alignment is incredibly important to me. Um, it's not so much what it looks like in the mirror and dancing can be like that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that, but you know, if you're trying to be in unison with somebody, then you're all supposed to be looking a certain way. So in that way, they are somewhat different, but I, I think they're actually much more similar than you might, you might think because there's a, in order for the body to be in a correct alignment or to make a certain shape while you're dancing or uh, a kind of quality while you're dancing, it has to feel a certain way too. So the deeper you're able to go with how something feels rather than how it looks, I think the more precise you're able to do it, whether that's in yoga or in dance. Yeah, so I yeah. think I think there's a lot of similarities. I think that that difference of oh I'm showing this to you, where like in yoga it's not about performing for somebody. Um, that would be the biggest difference. I and made it a little bit maybe too black and white because in a way it sounds like you know showing people the dance it is a service in a way as well because it inspires them, it plants seeds in them, um, and so I I hope I. It didn't come across as, you know, dancing is um, all public, is all ego. That wasn't the, the intention. No, no, I didn't take it that way at all. I, I think there are definitely some differences in it, hugely. Um, I think coming from, like, the inside of it, the inside of my body and how I thinking and trying to feel while I'm doing both of them, there are a lot of similarities. I think that difference is what you mentioned where something changes when you know people are looking at you and they're not looking at you because you're the teacher up there doing, explaining something. They're looking at you because they're being entertained <laughs> or they're, they're looking at you because you're being expressive and you, um, you know, you know that while you're doing it. So, I mean, the, one of the biggest things in terms of performing dance rather than, say, rehearsing dance, um, because in rehearsal I don't feel a lot of adrenaline from the audience, but when I'm performing it's a totally different situation because it, it, there's this, like, magical thing that happens and you, you feel much different than you do than when you were in rehearsal because there's all these people <laughs> that are looking at you. So, you know, and like chemically something is going on in your body because of the adrenaline and, you know, the nervousness and all of that. Take me to a recent uh, dance performance for you in the past year or a few years where you really felt that magic and what made it so special? Hmm. Uh, 
to think of a magical moment. You know, I, I'm just thinking of this because it's the most recent thing I've done and it was a really positive experience. Um, the company that I'm working for now in Minneapolis, we worked for about a year of process until we performed the show and we kind of performed it along the way in different iterations and then in this October we had what seems like the final iteration but it might change and the theater was is a really beautiful space and the audience is close enough that you can see them and and really make eye contact with them and for this piece in particular that's really important we're trying to create a more intimate space with the audience and i i don't know if i can explain like one moment in particular um but there is a section where i come out and i get very close to the audience and i talk with them and i'm actually improvising most of the time um, off of a, a structure and i'm you know, making eye contact with them. And if I see somebody that I might know in the audience, you know, I even like say their name and things like that. And so there was something about that moment where I got to connect in an even deeper way with them or a different way with them that um, I really enjoyed that. And sometimes when you're on stage and moving your body, but you're not able to talk or interact or know how the audience is reacting, um, it can feel like you're doing it for nobody. You know, it's like it, it can go both ways. Sometimes you really feel the, the energy of the audience and sometimes it feels like there are no people in the room. Um, so I would, I really enjoyed that moment because I was able to see the people and, um, have a different kind of interaction with them. I feel like the sensitivity that you gain from being a professional dancer who's really able to respond to the audience and the energy of the audience transfer itself again to the yoga classroom and being able to really read the energy of the room and your students. As a teacher, what would you consider is probably the most challenging part of the yoga teaching experience right now in your life? Um, right now, it is actually uh, keeping myself inspired in my practice because I feel like I'm always a much better teacher when I am in a place where I'm kind of at a place of loss of like, this is also new to me. I'm learning something that makes me feel like a beginner and then I feel like I have something to some material to work with that I can work out with my students because I feel like I learn so much from the act of teaching and if I if I'm going through some of the same material or if I don't feel like something's new or inspiring I find it to be really challenging to teach. So I think right now, um, that's, that's kind of for me where I'm at. Um, I was, I really loved studying with Barbara Banal when I was in Boston and I haven't quite found a teacher 
right now where where I'm at where I'm living now that that does that same thing for me that gives me that material to work with on my own that I can then transcribe you know and and transform into something that I want to teach through my body so right now that's kind of my challenge is uh, self-motivation you know how can I do that without this teacher how can I do that you know when I was a kid I did it with a book (laughs) so you know what's my what's my way right now and just to be just Sarah in a studio without you know a recording or a video or a book or what does that look like and that's incredibly challenging for me right now so how are you overcoming that challenge what are some tools or what are some ways you're thinking about working with this challenge um sometimes I do you know start with like a yoga glow video or something like that I that's my fallback is to start with something like that and if I'm having a really hard time doing you know focusing my energy and it tends to be that then I can turn it off and just do my own thing um Another thing this summer when I was running a lot is I found that after I would go for my long run, then that would be a time where I could just on my own, you know, after the, after running, do my own practice. And I think there's something about getting the inner, this other energy out prior to that was really useful. Um, because if your mind is going crazy and you haven't done anything very physical, like you've been sitting at your computer all day long or something like that, and then you try to snap right into a yoga practice, I find that really challenging. It's, it's almost like I need to do a bunch of really fast sun salutations before I actually start the practice, you know? Mm. Um, so, so I guess those are two ways of coping. Um, another way that that really Barbara taught me is to start out with a restorative pose, to start out with something that is on the floor that isn't super physical, but maybe it's a challenging shape for you. It wouldn't even necessarily need to be restorative, but something that's passive, that's over bolsters or blocks, that feels really good, that's giving you a different sensation than what you've had for the rest of the day. And it can just kind of settle you. And then once you've been there for 10 minutes, okay, now I'm going to sit up and start some breath work, or now I'm going to get to down dog. So that's another way, you know, or I get out my foam roller and I foam roll for 10 minutes and then I go, okay, <laughs> I'll start, start now. You know, it's, it's always kind of evolving. I love how honest you can be about kind of the challenge that you're encountering right now with self-motivation. And I think all the ways you've given to kind of bring yourself into your practice are really applicable to the listeners. I know there's many people who listen to this podcast who aren't yogis, regular yoga practitioners, but may coming from a more running background or other active backgrounds. What would you say would be advice you'd give someone who's kind of intimidated to come to your yoga class or a yoga class and maybe some reasons for why they should give it a try in 2015? Um, 
I think starting small is really good. I think having the expectation that you could go to an hour or an hour and a half class and stay attentive to it, to this thing that you is very new to you. I actually think that's a really high expectation in our society these days um, with attention spans being so short. Um, so I think starting small and I, I, I think it's hard to find a yoga class that's, you know, 30 minutes for a beginner or something like that if they just want to try. But even doing, say, doing a private session so that I know a lot of people that are intimidated to go and before they go, they they say things like, well, I, I'm not going to know what I'm doing or I'm going to be doing it wrong. And so I want to feel more comfortable before I go to a group class in the public which I can totally understand. I mean, of course, it's not about doing it right with yoga, um, but in order for them to feel more comfortable and confident, um, I've suggested before, like taking a private lesson or two to go through just the basic poses so that when the teacher says down dog, they know what they're talking about because a lot of teachers don't explain how to get into poses. They might just say the Sanskrit word or they might say the English word, but what does warrior two mean to a person who's never done a warrior two? You know, it doesn't mean anything. So I think that it's, it makes sense that people are intimidated by this language that they don't know. Um, it's super similar to like going to a foreign country and trying to talk to somebody in a language you, you don't know. So, um, yeah, doing something like that or really trying to find a class that is a beginner's class, which I think can be challenging because a lot of people go to beginner's classes who are beginners. They just, they want some of that simplicity. And so to find a teacher that's truly teaching a beginner's class would be um, really useful. Or if they have a friend who, who does a little bit of yoga, just do some yoga with them at home and, um, or, you know, in kind of more of a private setting. And I would guess that most people that are into yoga regularly, if they had somebody say to them, hey, I want to add this into my life or I want to try it, but I'm really intimidated. I'm not ready to go to a class yet. Like, would you show me some stuff or would you go to a class with me? You know, I think that would be a good, a good step in. I love that. And even like you did, I mean, just going into a bookstore and buying a book and bringing it home. I feel like we're in a place where we no longer kind of use books as actual resources fully for our yoga development and learning the postures. It may be more of philosophy based, but having the picture on a page, you know, so yeah. powerful. Yeah. And I think because, I mean, there are so many resources online, which are great. I think they're I think they're the best for people who already have a foundation. I think it's really important to actually have a real person to teach you yes. uh, as opposed to the person on the screen um, so that you can ask questions and so that when something feels weird, you can, um, you can say, you know, should I do this or should I do something else while we're doing this pose? Because, you know, that, that feels more more important to me yeah I agree 
for yourself for 2015. What are you looking forward to? Are there any dance performances, yoga retreats, any of your own trainings that you're excited about? What What's your intention for this year? Um, I am... I'm excited to get back into my yoga yoga practice. It's been the last month I've kind of had the goal before before 2015 came. I had the goal to get back into my own practice more seriously, and I feel like that is still there for me right now. Is to kind of shift that a little bit and bring it to a place that I know it's been at before. Um, it's kind of one of those things where when, when you felt really good <laughs> in a certain way, you, you, um, it almost haunts you because you know you can feel, feel so good or you can yeah. run so fast or however it is. So I don't feel like I'm at that place right now for various reasons. Um, dancing is really hard on the body also, so it, it brings up old injuries, and sometimes that creates um, – I mean, after rehearsing for hours and hours, I don't necessarily want to do a yoga practice, you know, or my yoga practice is all restorative, which is fine. Sometimes it's more that – I can't even get to the mat because I can't even imagine doing a restorative practice. So I think it's more just getting there. So that's like my goal of get on the mat and whatever you end up doing is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I sometimes say this to my students that the hardest part of a yoga class is just really getting to the class and getting on the mat. Yeah, definitely. And that being said, I'm one of my goals is to um, try out more teachers and create more of a community for for myself with the different teachers that are here in Minneapolis. Um, you know, I'm I'm not teaching at a lot of studios here, and that is always a great way to create a community of other teachers, and so. Because of that, I'm having to make a little bit more of an effort on my own just to go out to all different classes and try things. So that's another one of my my big goals. And, um, yeah, I also have running goals, which is yeah. I feel like I should say them because this Own is on home. I mean, I, I started running a lot more seriously this summer. Um, you know, like getting up to 13 miles was a huge huge thing for me and this is just it's just on my own for my own pleasure and now that winter's come it's just so cold here I can't get outside so (laughs) I'm kind of sad about that and maybe I just need to get over it but um I feel like I want to keep that a part of my life and I'm sort of interested in what it would be like to you know, train for a race, and it's it's just a curiosity I have right now. So I finally was at a place this summer where I wasn't hurting when I was running. I, I think a very, I'm a very supple body naturally, and I've done a lot of work around strength training and um, strengthening my joints so that they aren't hypermobile. And before I did that strength training, running would 
really hurt my joints. And I'm in a place right now where that's not the case. And and the more that I ran this summer, the stronger I felt in those joints. And so I feel like it's a really good thing for me. Um, it's a good thing to balance out the dancing and the yoga, even if that sounds crazy. <laughs> so that's, that is a goal of mine is to um, be able to get back to the place I was this summer and whether that means staying fit in the winter by cross-country skiing or doing other things so that when um, the weather gets warm enough, I don't feel like I'm, um, you know, having to struggle to get back to that place that I was in the summertime. Well, I think, I mean, a 13 miles is no joke to be able to go on a 13 mile run. Not many people can do that. So that's pretty incredible and speaks volumes about what your body's capable of. And I'd love to get to talk off air more about helping you figure out your training goals. That's awesome, Sarah. That's really exciting. Yeah, it's fun to um, to listen to the, the running podcast this summer. I started to listen to a few of them. Uh, because I was running, you know, and like, oh, there could be <laughs> some tips that might help me here. So, yeah, it's fun. That is really exciting. I am looking forward to this year in my teaching. I'm actually focusing a little bit more on retreats um, because my dance schedule doesn't allow me to teach as regularly. I've um, taking the opportunity to do some focus retreats. Um, I'm doing a retreat in Greece. The dates aren't quite set. Um, it'll be either the last week in May or the first week in June. And then I'll do my uh, third annual Dragonfly Yoga retreat in New Hampshire. Dragonfly Yoga is a wonderful spot in New Hampshire, and that's in October. Um, the dates are set, and you can find all that stuff on my website, sarahbyoga.com. To close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions. Early bird or night owl? Uh, early bird. Smoothies or juices? Smoothies. Mountains or oceans? Oh, oceans. And the last one is, would you rather fly or be invisible as your superpower? Mm, I would rather fly. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your story on the podcast. And I look forward to having you visit Boston soon. And the Boston community will be happy to see you back. Thanks, Julia. listening to episode 94 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Sarah Baumert, yoga teacher and dancer. Before I sign off, I want to ask the Running on Ohm community a favor. I would love to know which you, yes, you who's listening right now, who listened to Sarah's story, what you thought of this podcast. Whether it was your first time tuning in or you've been listening since 2014, I'd love to know what you think. So please consider leaving a review on iTunes your honest perspective will help me better this podcast and also help it gain more visibility on the iTunes interface. It will take you less than five minutes, so right now, just go for it. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.